Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge that sovereignty over these lands was never ceded and pay our respects to elders past and present. Hello and welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. It feels like it has been the very longest of AFLM seasons already after just round one. There were footy finals highs and of course there were off-field lows. My name is Emma Race and riding shotgun with me, Thelma and Louise Style, are some of the very best football talking folk that I know. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. I'm Shelley Ware. Hi, I'm Kate Sear. And I'm Lucy Race. Hello, my loves. I foolishly think that there have been times when I've wondered whether it was time for us to hang up the microphones thinking the work here is done. And then I remember that I am an idiot and that the work is for life and not just for Christmas. (laughs) We've got a big conversation to have today and we welcome lots of people who will be joining us for the first time. A warning that we will be discussing homophobia, racism and sexism here today. So please prioritise your well-being and proceed with caution. Let's get this party started with the things that thrilled us in the first round of the AFLW finals and round one of the men's competition. Shelley, what were your highlights? Well, I absolutely loved the energy of Fremantle's Ebony Antonio's goal celebration. I love how she was holding a jumper. It just looks like Frio are playing for each other. And I think that holding of the jumper really shows that. And there's a brilliant photo on the AFLW website of it. And it's just the best. And I love the passion. Straight into the M beside myself that I got to go to the MCG and watch live football and I got to take my cousin to his very first ever AFL game and he now barracks for the Blues which is a bonus too. (laughs) So it was great to watch Sam Doherty and that was one of the big draw cards for me just being there for that just to see him run out after his second bout of testicular cancer as he kicked that goal and everyone like literally everyone stood up it was Richmond it was Carlton the roar the players ran to him that magic I was so proud of him that was literally Mm. a highlight of the year to be honest it was amazing wasn't it you think about how much cancer affects people everyone in watching the footy and you know sometimes football can be the thing that takes your mind off what might be going on at home and to have that moment I think I don't think there was a dry eye in the house and then Shelley for your baggers to get that win have you oh. got a little bit of I mean the lid's probably on but <laughs> where's the lid is the lid loose is it slightly loose it's, mate, it's off it's off like we're, we're seeing players in their positions where they should be played we're seeing actual tactics where they're being moved during games instead of a game plan that possibly was worked out the Wednesday before so it's great look at you you got a plan and you're happy about it Katie what were your highlights oh I have to say I might have mentioned on this podcast before that almost all my cousins go for Carlton and my most loved cousin David texted me at the end of the game and asked me how he can buy grand final tickets, which I thought was going pretty early, but um, but good stuff, David. Uh, look, I wanted to give a shout out to friend of the podcast, Melanie Ray, who called it early. She tweeted us the other day with an omen watch. Uh, she had seen a photograph of the Fremantle women training against the backdrop of a beautiful purple sky and she called it early and said that Frio were going to win the women's uh, and of course they did and they were fantastic gee they they look so good and so strong but I also loved watching the Frio men's match that was for me sensational if you haven't seen it you have to go online and track down the final few minutes of that game against the Crows which resulted in the Frio men getting up by a single point with about five and a half minutes to go actually the Crows were up by two goals and in an extremely controversial finish I admit uh, Heath 
Chapman affected a spoil right on the goal line with literally a couple of seconds to go. It was such a sensational and exciting finish. But I also just want to tip my hat to the North Melbourne women who bow out for the year, but really were terrific and just wasn't their day on the weekend. Lucy, your Ds are still on ice, waiting for their opportunity. We've got some news about the AFLW finals. Um, What were your highlights? My highlight was, you know, I love a number 19 and Hayley Miller, captain of the Fremantle AFLW team, wears number 19 and I loved her game on the weekend. She had 21 disposals, five clearances and one goal which she scored after taking what I thought was such an incredible mark. It was right on half time. She kind of arched her back. The ball was almost behind her and her arms were outstretched. And it was like she willed that ball into her hands. And I had absolutely no doubt that she was going to score a goal from it. I just had the sense from her that as a captain, she was really willing her side to do everything to get across the line and I thought that that was her performance and um, I really enjoyed it. I also returned to the MCG on the weekend and watched Hawthorne beat North Melbourne. Hawthorne are actually sitting third on the ladder, so I say blow the siren. <laughs> Let's go straight to finals right now. Round one is One round is enough. Big shout out to Chad wearing the long sleeve jumper looked fantastic and also to see the Oz kickers back on the field was just a delight. Oh it's so cute isn't it and heaps of siblings in this AFL M round for us to celebrate. I love a sibling hug and kiss at the end of a game and we got it a couple of times which was really nice. My highlights were Ellie Gavalis her snap to open the finals mm. proceedings for this season. It was an extraordinary goal and I felt like I got goosebumps and thought, oh, we're on here. And I, I actually didn't know who, I didn't know who to back between North Melbourne and Frio because of, you know, past meetings and the fact that they were playing at Arden Street. I just didn't know which way it was going to go. But I thought that is such a beautiful way to open the finals for the AFLW season. Uh, I also really enjoyed the fact that Houghton was surrounded by blue jumpers on a number yes. of occasions. <laughs> and I was playing along at home and I was imagining you guys were doing the same thing. Uh, Of course, in the AFL-M, Sam Mitchell's long been my favourite player. He's now become my second favourite coach just behind uh, Rebecca Goddard. And his growth mindset, I thought, has really been on display. I've been eating up with a spoon all of his post-match presses. He was on 360, AFL 360 last night. And there's something about Sam. He is an unusual character, but he's done so much work on himself. And I liked the little things that he has added to the landscape already. And I feel like he really backs himself in uh, trying to promote what I think is a growth mindset for the players talking about if you're celebrating hard after round one win, you need to know that you'll sell, you'll probably celebrate the same way. Well, I'd like to see you celebrate the same way after a round two loss because, you know, we're going to have losses. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, but like, let's just take this journey together. And I just thought it was an unusual, it's got an unusual way about communicating. And I, I just have found it already refreshing. I'm slightly on edge when I'm watching him, but I also really love it. I think he's going to be a really exciting person to have in the media landscape as a coach. And there was one moment that he had a lucky texter that his son had given to him, I think, in his back pocket. I didn't quite get the story, but I was like, a lucky texter. This is very much a sanctum omen that needs to be mentioned. That's our jam. Yeah, it's (laughs) totally our jam. So uh, that was a big highlight for me. As I mentioned, the AFLW Grand Final has been pushed back a week, which we'll see Collingwood and Brisbane playing in the qualifying final on Sunday, this week at the Gabba. Prelims will be next weekend and the Grand Final will now be on Saturday the 9th of April, which means that the W Awards on the 5th of April they, I don't think they've been moved. It'll be the first time that we have the W Awards before the granny. I think that's I think the first so. time. It mirrors yeah. what happens in the M with the Brownlow. Um, so I can't imagine too many people will travel from interstate for the W Awards, which will be slightly disappointing. But we've got a date now, at least for the granny, and I don't think that will be moved again. Okay, let's roll up our sleeves and melee, my loves. The off-field story of the week that derailed our weekends and set our community back are the comments heard from videos that are allegedly Tom Morris, a Fox Sports journalist who was sacked as a result of these videos when they were made public. 
while the sharing of these private videos and voice memos is, in my opinion, a gross breach of trust. The comments caught an innocent colleague in the crossfire, but more than that, the two videos peppered with racist, homophobic and sexist comments have hit our community really hard. I've got to say, the last seven years that we've been doing this pod, I have been working from the assumption that sport could be part of the solution to gender equality and homophobia and racism, but I was gutted this week by this story. Um, because it showed that sport is still very much part of the problem. I look at it and I think this is a young guy who's lived through the inception of the AFLW, who's been offered education on the matters of intersectional equality and and equity and respect, who's witnessed close up the pain that of events that have been caused by the fallout of actions and words by people like Tex Walker and Eddie Maguire, Nathan Broad and Wayne Carey and Barry Hall, and yet it still has happened. So I felt quite devastated and I know you guys were with me. We've got a lot to tackle today. So let's break this up. Firstly, let's look at the effects of this, starting with also how this can happen in this environment. Shelley, I'm going to come to you first. It was a really personal attack, it felt, on people in our community and people who've listened to this podcast. How are you feeling about it? Well, first of all, the feeling of wanting to fix it for Megan was actually real and it was quite um, overwhelming. I wanted to surround her and shield her from such public humiliation. To lose control of her own privacy and identity was actually quite overwhelming. And we have seen women and men stand up, you know, on our social media. Not enough men within the actual industry itself. I'd love to hear from more of them and I would have loved to have heard from them straight away. But unfortunately, Tom Morris isn't a Lone Ranger. And honestly, it took me back, right back to many moments that I have faced in this industry of sexism, misogynistic behaviour, racism towards me narcissistic behaviour as a female AFL presenter. You know, I've been in the industry for 20 years and I can't even feel like it's getting better. Like, to be perfectly honest with you, it is just ongoing and well hidden. But as we know, things come out and that's what we've seen over the weekend. It was an immediate enraged feeling within my body and delight at the same time that for the first time in all this time, I'd actually seen consequences for this behaviour. Yeah, that was the interesting one, wasn't it? Because the consequences were swift and I think that they have really given some solace to other people who work at Fox who were also really appalled by this. And I guess that is something that we have seen the needle move on. And I think also the immediate community that did rally around Megan, but also our community of uh, people who like to have their sport with a side of social safety. I think that we all gathered around each other as well. And the thing that really worried me is that in a lot of the commentary, what got lost was the racism and was the homophobia. It was a lot about the gender. I think that that gets brushed under the carpet because there's not enough people who have that lived experience having that conversation. And so I hope that we will have that conversation today, although I know it's a gut punch And I know it's really hard to have that conversation. Kate, why, how does this still happen in this day and age? Well, as Shelley mentioned, I mean, these are pernicious and pervasive problems in our society more broadly. And we would be naive to think that those issues have gone away. I mean, on this podcast last week, you all talked about a report that was recently released on uh, sexist attitudes in a global report and showed that Australia performed really badly. And, you know, we continue to have research that shows that you know, homophobic and racist and sexist attitudes are prevalent in Australian society and people suffer as a result. But I also think it's really easy to focus on the individual and and we have this week and, and for good reason. But I also wanted to sort of stop and reflect on bigger picture structural issues that I do think are at play here. And I say this without, of course, making any excuses for, for Tom Morris, but I do think this is a a complex problem and that there are multiple forces at play. And partly I see what's happened over the last week as a product of the business model of sports media, the capitalist business model um, that's been in place for many years, but I feel like has gotten worse during the time that we've been doing this podcast. We've been doing this podcast for seven years and I feel it gets worse every year. And that's that kind of capitalist clickbait model in footy for years. There's been a race to break stories and to generate controversial opinions and hot takes. And those things are increasingly common and media figures have been 
I think, centering themselves as quote-unquote personalities within this clickbait capitalist culture for many years and many of them are men whose takes we on this podcast have often found problematic. And for me, I feel like what happened this week is partly bound up in that model where journalists became the story very quickly and it ended up overshadowing the footy. It overshadowed the first round, which should have been a celebration. It overshadowed the AFLW finals, which we also should have been talking about and celebrating. And part of why I think it's about this cult of personality in this clickbait culture is that a private group chat, as you've flagged earlier, M was weaponized. And I think that's the kind of thing can only happen or is only possible in this very personal and personality-driven culture of sports media. It felt like for whoever released that private group chat that this was legit, that this was a legitimate response because it's this kind of cut the cut and thrust of this competitive, I think pretty macho, low-key, Um, controversial hot takes culture here's another hot take here's Tom Morris's personal chat and here's a here's a personal attack on him and so I see it a bit as the manifestation of a long-standing problem in sports media that that I think is only getting worse and um, a symptom of that culture which I think is pretty sick and I would like everybody in sports media to take a long hard look at um, that culture, because I do think it has contributed to and shaped where we where we ended up this week. It's an interesting one, Kate, because he had gone through the journalist in question had gone through this real high and low moment because he was facing off with uh, Luke Beveridge, and it was yep. interesting to see the journalists jumping in to support their own. Do you think that that plays into this this conversation about the cult of personality? Absolutely, because if you look at what happened in the sort of 24 hours after that press conference with Luke Beveridge, so much of it was uh, people taking sides, you know, either I'm with Luke Beveridge and I support Luke Beveridge as a person or I support Tom Morris as a person and it became this very personality-driven, this kind of cult of personality. As you said, many journalists got on side, got on board with Tom Morris and supported him as a person. I kind of understand why to some extent because they were also defending their profession, but it was done in this very personal and personalised way. And so then I think whoever leaked that uh, voice memo, which purports to be from Tom Morris, and the video which purported to be him, and as you said earlier, we're not sure, you know, we we don't know, we haven't been able to independently verify if that is him, but whoever leaked this information and put it out into the public domain claiming that this was Tom Morris seems to have done so in a bid to kind of contribute to this discussion about whose side you're on. And that's what I mean when I say that this felt like a very personal and personality-driven problem. It's not the whole story. There's a whole bunch of other things going on here. You know, there's a whole discussions we could have about sexist attitudes and racist attitudes and homophobic attitudes. But I, I also think this is a factor and that I think is really disappointing. The world feels completely out of whack when there's a war on and you look at what's happening on the global stage and you think about how many column inches will have been dedicated to a clash between a journalist and a coach in a very parochial, small place in the world. I actually genuinely feel that what I've heard over the last couple of days is that sports journalists and, and AFL media people believe themselves to be as important to the game as the players. It feels like that's what they're saying. Lucy, have you heard similar things? I think something that we need to also keep in mind is this context of social media. And I've been reading a particular book about this this week, and it's been interesting because it's brought up some stuff that I think is relevant here. And one of them is that tweets or posts or things that have the words like hate or blame in the title get way much more track. And so there are forces at play in the way that information is shared via social media that actually drives that kind of argument that's, you know, this side, that side. And I think we've seen that in lots of different areas. We see it in sport and sport's not immune to it. So I think that that context is important. When you asked earlier, Emma, about how this kind of made us feel, my overwhelming emotion this week has actually been fear and like Shelley, fear for Megan, but also just hearing 
men speak so blatantly and graphically made me feel physically ill. And I had that feeling that I don't belong here. I don't belong in sport. And I know consciously that I do, but it sends me straight back to that place. And it made me worry about the safety and the feelings of other women in sport, particularly those who have insecure work or those who are just starting out. And it also concerns me that hearing that kind of conversation emboldens other men to think that it's okay to speak this way. And so I have been heartened to see that the conversation has really pushed back against that. But Honestly, to be a woman in sport is to always have that fear bubbling just underneath the surface. And I think it's useful to name that. There's a particular form of male, white, hetero power that can be weaponized against many groups of people, not just women. It can be weaponized against other men too. And for Megan's personal information to be weaponized in such a cavalier way is just appalling. In her own words, she said, coming out is a process and should never have been taken out of someone's hands. And fears around coming out and fears around how people are going to be treated is justified because we do still see homophobia on a daily basis. I remember you speaking on the pod a few weeks ago, Kate, and you gave some awful figures about the homophobia that people face every day in words and actions. We still see, you know, one in three secondary school students face homophobia daily. We've seen it weaponized systemically in legislation. So I think that it's important to to name that fear and to bring it out into the spotlight. You're right, Lou, the video took a swing at all of us, but the visceral reaction for our dear friend Julia Kiera was immense and she sent us these words. I've had a lot of thoughts since all this came to light. I think my first reaction was to laugh it off, um, which if I think back to why that was my first response is because that's what I've done my whole life. It's a self-protecting factor uh, to make light of it because if I really delved into what's behind men making comments like that. It's pretty gross and scary and intrusive and demeaning, um, to be frank. And I guess I, I felt, the more I thought about it, really triggered by what had happened, the kind of Ill- involuntary outing of someone, um, the minimising of what it is to out someone else. But really it was the, the sexualizing of the journalist that was really sad to me um, and just brought up a lot of baggage about men that I've encountered over my lifetime, straight men who are just kind of obsessed with lesbianism and lesbian sex in a really unhealthy way, in a way that I think is probably made worse by the pornification of the world we live in, you know, that Pornhub lives in their phones and on their laptops and depicts lesbian sex in this kind of bizarre, titillating way that is there completely to serve the unreal fantasies of men and does not centre lesbians or female pleasure in any way and that men can kind of take ownership of that in this this fantasy world and and the line between what is real and what is fantasy is just completely blurred by uh, men who have been socialised in in that way and you know that ultimately lots of women and non-binary people will have experienced this that it's not until you're in a partnership with a man that other men a romantic partnership that other men lay off uh, because suddenly you are another man's property and they'll steer clear of you and they won't say those things so when you are in a same-sex relationship there is no man to which you are in their property portfolio and so there's no barrier to them making these disgusting comments about you and ridiculing um and yeah engaging in this sexualizing objectifying chatter with other men uh where you're kind of both you know an object of fantasy and an object of ridicule and that's really hurtful and I know that a lot of chatter has not really delved into that because it is kind of giving fuel to the flame of of this discussion and and trying to minimize the sexualizing nature of the discussion because it is pretty hurtful and gross and personal but I guess to me that's the thing that really makes me feel gross about it all and just brings up a lot of memories of you know cordial relationships I know that I've had with other men where I've felt like we're on par we get on and then I know the way that they 
talk to me uh, when I'm not in the room or the way that they talk to me when they're drunk and where their real thoughts come out. And that's depressing. So all power to Megan. She's a legend. She didn't deserve this. And I'm glad he's been sacked. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That was really generous of Julia to share those thoughts and I've got to say it really reminded me of the misogyny around that Barry Hall incident where he was sacked from Triple M talking about a colleague's pregnant wife. The fact that women's bodies and the way that they get discussed, it for me it discloses a deep misogyny that quite frankly I don't actually know that we can undo in some men. I think that it just exists there and, and they think that it's their right to have this kind of conversation. The attention now and the attention today has been turned to the redemption of Tom Morris, which is a very quick, I mean, you may have whiplash that we're already having this conversation. And his cis white het colleagues have already been vocal in assuring us that this should not be the end to this young man's career. And I say that in inverted commas. Um, I'd like to start by pointing out that episodes like this are the reason why many women will never seek a career in sports media. So the fact that we're talking about how this shouldn't end his career, I just want to put it on the record that this is the very reason why women stay away from this sport and from this game. And that is of the utmost concern to me right now. But let's talk about where to from here. Shelley, do you have any thoughts on how we proceed from this moment? I don't think the time is for Tom. I think the time is for Megan. I think he needs to stand back a bit. I'm sure he's probably been in contact with these men who are thinking that they're doing the right thing by standing up and being quite vocal about what's going on and thinking they're doing the right thing there because they've had words with him. He might be trying lots of different ways to connect with people and and make it okay. For me, I'd love to see Tom work with somebody about a plan really because one of the things that always worries me is um, someone's mental health when we're in this situation. I would love to see him with a professional talking about where he felt it was okay and and safe to actually speak like this with others and and break that down and, and take the time to heal but I really feel like it is time for Megan and for us to lift her and lift other women who've been hit by this. I think that we do have redemption. I do believe in road to redemption but I don't believe we've even got the dirt out yet and and rolled over it to make it flat you know we haven't paved the road to redemption yet so I think time Tom step out for a minute and let's let's make this about women in sport and and getting some of those things that Kate was talking about right yeah his safety is paramount as well because I can't imagine what that day was like for him the very worst day of his life no doubt in terms of his career, I don't know his personal situation, but I do hope that his mental health is okay and someone is looking out for him equally, if not more. I really do hope that someone's looking after Megan as well. And what's more been so. more so, what's been heartening is there is a community of women in sports media who have absolutely gathered, and that has happened so quickly. There is, if you remember the scene from Handmaid's Tale when all the muffins got baked, it's a bit like that. Kate Sia, <laughs> what about for you? What do you think the road is from here? Well, maybe I'll come at this a different way and tell you what I think the road should not be. Um, <laughs> first and foremost, I have to say that it should not be a path to redemption, so-called, that's forged by comparison. And what I mean by that is that in the last couple of days, as Shelley said, we've started to see quite a few sports journalists come out and talk about how long until Tom Morris can come back and can he be redeemed and does he have a future in the industry? And so many of them have said, well, yes, he has to have a future in the industry because... And then they roll off a list of names of people who did things that are apparently comparatively worse. So people have said, well, Eddie came back after... 
he made those King Kong comments about Adam Goods. Wayne Carey came back after he has been convicted of violence against women and so on and so forth. Now, that's that should not be the touchstone. That should not be the benchmark by which we judge whether or not Tom Morris comes back. I'm sorry, because... You know, many of us disagree with the fact that people like Eddie Maguire made a pretty smooth transition back into public life after he made those comments. And of course, after he made comments about drowning Caroline Wilson. Many of us believe that Wayne Carey should not be commentating footy and certainly that he should not have been on the TV during white ribbon rounds, which are are designed to raise awareness of and take action on violence against women and children. So I just have to say that that to me is deeply offensive that that would be the touchstone but the other point I want to make is that I know that when things like this happen when when something goes wrong or when someone gets it wrong people often seek out the affected community for advice so men in this context men often seek out women for advice and I think we've all experienced some of that in recent days I know some of us have been contacted by people in the industry and asked for help or advice or guidance and I do want to say that I don't begrudge anybody, particularly women who feel comfortable offering advice to men in this situation. It's certainly something that I've done in the past, including with the journalist in question here. I've had a lot to do with Tom Morris in the past and given him advice. He's sought out my advice about gender issues and I've given it him a lot of time. Um, But personally, I have to say I feel exhausted and frustrated that women are now being called upon and asked to help fix it. And this is a problem that goes well beyond gender. I know, Shelley, that you have, you know, so many times in the past had people reach out to you when there's been a racist incident and and people have come to you asking, how could I do better or how can I fix this? And really, it's possible. And indeed, I think it's pretty straightforward to find out how you can do better yourself. It's not It's not hard. There are resources online that deal with these issues. There are more guidelines and research reports and books and articles that have been written about things like homophobia and sexism and racism than I could count, and they're easily and freely available. So and people can go and find them. And the Outer Sanctum back catalogue that you could sit, if you had a year <laughs> off, you'd have, maybe be able to get through all of them. That's Indeed. Right. I mean, we have show notes every week where we recommend things that people can read that we've gone and read and so part of why I have found this discussion in recent days about the way forward particularly frustrating is because I think women are called upon to do the work and you know just an example of this that I saw today was that Carolyn Wilson was actually asked on footy classified earlier this week by Craig Hutchinson will you work with him will you work with him there were three men on the panel and none of those men were asked will you work with him it was somehow pushed to Caroline Wilson as her, as her responsibility. She Look, she navigated the question very diplomatically, but as I said, we have all been asked for help like this, whether in recent days or in recent months and years. And, and I feel really strongly, and this might not seem very much like it's in the spirit of cooperation, but that women in general do spend a lot of time cleaning up men's mess. And I find it pretty frustrating that we're back at this point again where women are being centred in the conversation. People like Carolyn Wilson are being asked what they can do. And Shelley, this goes well outside footy, but you and I were having a conversation the other night that, you know, outside of football, both you and I and many other people we know, I know Emma and Lucy do the same thing, spend time supporting other people, particularly women and, and children who have experienced family violence or sexual assault. Lots of my female friends in particular carry that load at great personal cost and there are variations on this everywhere where women are doing the work and cleaning up the mess and bearing the load. And so what I would say is that whatever happens going forward, don't assume that you can come to women and ask them to tell you how to fix it or that they can go off and do the research for you. People know how to Google men out there. You know how to Google, you know, do some of that work. I think it isn't hard. It drives me crazy, Kate. It's reputational laundering. That's what I see it as, that people, we get this all the time at the Outer Sanctum and I I know that you each get it personally, Shelley, you probably get it more than most, that people want proximity to someone who they can use as moral licensing to say, oh, but I've got an Aboriginal friend or, oh, but I listened to that one episode that one time. And it drives me crazy because to be really honest and frank, I tried to have a creative response to what this issue is and create a program where I could support 
offer education to men who worked in sports media to get ahead of issues like this so that they don't make these mistakes. The person in question never came to those seminars despite me personally inviting them on multiple occasions. And so my time is used up now. My time is now for women. And I and I actually don't feel guilty about that because no. I'm not actually sure how authentic the approach has been for me to assist people or this person in particular, Kate, you would maybe find the same thing. Maybe it's that they just want proximity to say, I reached out too. And I don't I don't want to be associated with the with the way that this person needs to find their way back. I don't, I don't, I want them to demonstrate that in this day and age, when you've lived through that much, you can find your own way back. And that would be leadership in this moment. Am I, am I on the mark here, Shell? Oh, completely on the mark. I agree 100%. And, and when people say, oh, but he's so good at what he does, like he'll come back. I have literally been in this industry for so long and when I say they say why aren't you on television and I say there's basically not a space that has been created for another Aboriginal woman I've been told over and over and shown over and over again that there is only one space for one Aboriginal person or one Aboriginal show and then when I voice that they go oh that's a shame and that's people within my own industry what a loss to us only Mm -hmm. said to me Saturday night from another person another woman in the industry who could do something about it I'm sorry the fact that people think it's okay he can come back from this is that because he's a white male is that what's going on here and that's what it feels like I mean, we're lousy with them. Lucy and I have got 40 graduates of making the call. I could do this job in their sleep. That's the thing that's making me pull my hair out. Lucy, sorry. (laughs) No, I was just going to chime in with some, I, I think the way forward is that this, you know, systemic issues are at the root of these problems. There is entrenched gender inequality. We are living in a colonized country. We have systemic racism. And ultimately, we are going to need systemic solutions because it can't be up to individuals to fix it by themselves. And I think that's what we're getting at. And so when we talk about even, you know, people reaching out to get information on things that they might not understand, that is because issues around gender or sexuality or race are othered, that we see the default as being white, male, cis, hetero. So that is just the bulk of the way that people do their job and report and cover sport and then go, oh, hang on, no, there's this woman's issue over here or there's this issue about race. I need to, I'll get to that if I ever have time. And it's not seen as part of the whole understanding. And that's a systems issue. That's an issue that is at the heart of our culture, unfortunately, and the way that community ideas sit. So the answer is, is a big one. It's we need diversity in all spaces, but it's critical when we do that, that we ensure that the environment's safe and that it is truly inclusive. That means more than just one person, more than just one show. Sport is actually not doing a great job here. There was a report that came out last year on, it was the Women in Media report, and it showed that only 13% of articles in sport were written by a female journalist. That was the lowest number in that whole entire category. So above that, at 35% of articles on politics, business, and science were written by women. So in those areas, women are doing better. Sport is lagging behind here. Now, there was a tweet I saw at the end of the AFLW Home and Away season by Oliver Gigatz on Twitter. And he reported that the TV commentary stats for the 2022 AFLW home and away season were looking a bit rosier. And they were, of all of of the commentators, 70% were women and 2% were non-binary. And that is awesome. And we should celebrate that because that makes a difference. That has made a difference in the jobs that are available for people, uh, for women and for non-binary people who want to be sports broadcasters, but it also makes a difference for the way that we can enjoy the sport that we love. We get a different perspective, which is wonderful, but I don't want to see those stats just siloed in women's sport and then it just gets pushed away when the main event of the men's 
sport comes on. We need allies to speak up, as you've alluded to, and I think a big reason for that is because for a lot of women in sports media, they're working as part of a gig economy. They don't have full-time jobs. They don't have tenure. It isn't safe. So that's another structural issue. And, you know, we just we just need to see accountability at a systemic level. I think, as you guys have said, we've got to get away from just talking about the individual. We need to talk about what behaviour and actions get rewarded in terms of people getting more roles, keeping their jobs, being promoted. That's the kind of stuff I want to see. Yeah. So thinking about the ways to move forward, thinking about practical things that we can actually demand. I I, I was thinking about how, you know, the AFL have not made a comment on this, which is fine. We all advocate in different ways, but this story does intersect with several sports, given that the journalist who was talked about reports on cricket, and this is a, you know, a, a football story. How can cricket and footy administrators make sure that journos who cover the game feel safe and feel protected? And I think the thing that I would call for is that we need to be aiming at a 50-50 gender split in not just in press conferences, but accredited media, that we need to acknowledge that the barriers for women to offer breaking stories is really different to men. So do you know how often I see an AFLW story being broken by a male journalist? And it makes me want to pull my hair out because I know that they've given it to someone who they think, well, they have a huge platform. I'm not sure that that's the right way around. I think it's the cart pulling the horse. When they're negotiating broadcast deals, and I know that this is challenging, but they need to demand um, equality in coverage when negotiating those because they're some some systems changes that we can really push for. But I felt like we were on the right path, you know, and then something like this bubbles up and, and you see what's really working underneath. And it really upsets me. And you know, I actually also got really upset this weekend and, and Shelley, tell me if you don't want me to mention this because well, we have talked about it, but that there was, that you should be in the newspaper for a million reasons. But this weekend you were in the newspaper in a gossip column about a former ex-boyfriend that you happened to sit next to at a corporate event and it, and it made it look salacious and, and it was ridiculous. And this makes me furious because, you know, the only times that I've ever seen AFLW players on the front page of the Herald Sun is when they're dressed up for the Brownlow. And mm. to think that Shelley Ware gets coverage because she sat next to Nathan Buckley at some launch, you're a happily married person and mm. that that someone can just espouse this gossip and innuendo about you and I actually felt like there was an undercurrent there that really made me question whether the publicity machine was making something of your relationship for, for his benefit for the benefit of of him rather than and not even considering what that would mean for you and your family so I just wanted to acknowledge that You've been poorly treated repeatedly, but then for you to get coverage in in the national paper and it to be for a former relationship, I just found that to be, again, such an indictment on the mainstream media and the way that you've been commodified in that moment. Yeah, it was actually really quite shocking when I saw it. First of all, it went into digital print. And it suggested that we had caught up for a lunch, with that Nathan had caught up with an ex and then said my name. If you don't read the, the newspaper, the full newspaper article, like most people don't, they make a judgment just on a headline. The newspaper article in itself was a joke, but, um, you know, the second one went to digital, which or actually went to print, which I couldn't believe that they even wasted a, a square in a newspaper for print in all the things that are going on in the world. And that one alluded it to it being an awkward exchange with X exchange. And that was just shocking. I thought how sad for that. I'm going to call her an author because I'm just not sure it's quite journalistic, but sad for that author because continuing the narrative that ex-partners cannot have healthy relationships in a title was appalling for me. You know, And also I, you were at work. That I was, was at work, work. You were at with, work. With 450 other people, mm. that was not. And you were placed at a table. Placed. You had no agency in where you sat. No, placed at a table with brilliant people by a brilliant man who runs, you know, MCC. And it was just, and not to mention they used photographs from 25 years ago where I looked 12 years of age. Now, the thing is, this isn't my first radio with this newspaper, Okay. They've written things before and think people have said things on radio before. 
that actually took five years to come out of like stop being repeated in my life so I was a at first I was laughing then I was angry and then I was really quite cautious so I didn't say anything on social media because I didn't want anyone to share it I didn't want anyone to click on it because I didn't want it to keep going so I was really concerned about what it meant for my son and that my husband he's in Thailand and he's having the exact same concerns you know so he's over there on holiday it's shared with him I go to a party on Saturday night people want to talk about how I this ridiculous article but I had to have this conversation then with my son which was just embarrassing as well and so I showed him the paper and I said this is where we're at and he looked at it and he said mum the only people that should be embarrassed are that paper he goes you look seriously because you look 12 in that paper there's nothing wrong with what you did, followed by a quick, who cares? And what is wrong with that? Why is that in there? Like he just could, he was just so, that's ridiculous, where I was like, okay, he's strong. He feels that way. We can move on. But yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's such an indictment, Shell. I'm so sorry that that's happened to you this week. Mm. And it's gone unnoticed because, well, thankfully, it's gone pretty much unnoticed. But I can't believe it happened in the same week that we're talking about all of these things. That was the thing. I didn't want to put it out, one, for Taj, but secondly, for Megan. Mm. It had to, this had to be about Megan and what had happened in that space. Mm. And I thought, I'm not going to be carrying on like a pork chop. I've got this funny little way my brain works and who the F is one of the songs I've been, you know, singing away. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all need to sing that song. All right, let's move on. It's quite a bumper melee for us this week. So we'll get straight to final business. It's been very heavy. It's been a hard week and it's been a heavy week. But one of the things that absolutely thrilled me was seeing the Swans sign a bunch of players to their AFLW team. Hot on the heels, Hawthorne announced another signing today. This is really happening. There was an article released today talking about fast tracking, all of the processes that are happening for the AFLW season that looks like it's definitely going ahead in August. I can't quite believe, talk about whiplash, we're going to be back after the finals. We'll be back here again talking about AFLW really, really soon. Any other final business? Just a quick shout out to friend of the pod, Claire Hanlon, whose research came out today looking at the way that changing uniforms in women's sport can help remove some barriers for women and girls. It found that if you can change the uniform and make it more comfortable and something that people have got some, have bought into, people feel more confident and happier. So that's fantastic. We'll probably cover that in a bit more depth in a later episode. I just wanted to offer our very hearty congratulations to Natalie Wood, who has been named as the inaugural coach of the Essendon AFLW team. She's now going to be the second woman coaching um, at AFL level alongside Beck Goddard, who will coach the Hawthorne team when they come into the competition, maybe in August of this year. Natalie has a long and very distinguished career. She played 197 games for Melbourne University in the Darabin Falcons. She's a five-time premiership player and a three-time All-Australian. She most recently has been the assistant midfield coach at the Western Bulldogs AFLW team, prior to which she was down at Geelong. And Julia Kiera tells us that this is an absolutely sensational appointment and that Essendon fans should be jumping through the roof. So I'm really excited for Natalie. Congratulations. And just on Essendon Football Club, congratulations and well done to you for waiving the membership fees, but also having the consecutive membership years. And what was it, a three-day pass that was also given to the people that couldn't make it to the games. So top class Essendon Football Club. Yeah, that was great, Shelley, by Essendon to be able to help out a family who are having trouble making ends meet. I just love the way that clubs can respond to that. I, I remember seeing it. Do you remember seeing the Melbourne Storm said memberships would be free for people who I missed do. out? Last, I, I just love that. And that was actually, mm. you know, that was from Justin Rodsky and I think he used to work at mm. Essendon. So maybe it's yeah. a really, you know, he's planted some seeds there or it's just a, a I hate seeing Essendon do so well. It really annoys me. (laughs) (laughs) Game on, Bombers, game on. (laughs) Hey, just before we get out of here, can I ask you guys a question? This has been really something on my mind for a number of days now since we saw Fremantle win on the weekend and that vision of the team singing the song, which they did so beautifully, and that song has been an earworm ever since. I do have a question though. When they say hit them real hard, send them down below, 
where is down below? Are they sending them to the lower deck on the ship or are they actually sending them to the bottom of the deep blue sea? Or to the bowels of hell. That's what I think. I think the bowels Oh, of the that's ship. even further down. <laughs> Kate. That's See, my I, gut reaction. I don't hear that. I think what they're saying is hit them high, hit them low, hit them with the old people. And, and then I get an earworm of that old um, song that used to kill insects. And I was actually quite shocked to learn that that was not the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> I was shocked to hear that there were lyrics. As I said to you all at the time, True. I, I I just thought it was a series of grunts and heaves and hoes and... and noises and then when I saw the women singing I realized there were words it sent me down a bit of a rabbit hole too I discovered the lyrics to the West Coast Eagles song which I think have changed over the last couple of years and I just want to read you the first couple of lines of the first verse of the West Coast song which I think is a celebration of border closures in the time of COVID because it says born is pride from isolation our fortress built we cross the nation our colors share the West Coast sky our will to win will never die. Wow. It was an omen watch. <laughs> it was. Wow. <laughs> I think we should go out with the Frio song so that everyone can truly enjoy all the lyrics. Tess, Which can you version? make that happen? <laughs> hit them high, hit them low. <laughs> <laughs> hit them with the old people. <laughs> oh, ladies, it's been a rough one. It's been so nice to sit here and hear your thoughts and I did have to give myself a pep talk that we weren't going to be able to say every single thing that we thought of in our heads uh, because we had a lot to say today. Thank you so much to everyone who has been on socials. We've received so much support for the way that we've been covering the stories and it doesn't go without notice and we really appreciate everyone who's been tagging us in and supporting us and supporting what we do. Uh, Thanks always, of course, to Tess Armstrong and her gorgeous one-year-old Patty for supporting us in editing the podcast. We don't thank you enough, Ted. Thanks for joining us today. It is time for us to get out of here. There's only one thing left to say. Go Go footy. footy!